These last few days has caused me to long for something, and I'm guessing for you it's also ignited something that spring tends to do. These last few days, going outside and seeing the sunshine, we were able to get out several times over the last few days and enjoy the two days that we will have of spring before it gets so doggone hot around here that you can't stand it, and so you better get out there. But this is what it has caused me to long for. I get out there in the mornings, and I see the sunshine, and I automatically go to the beach. Anybody else? Automatically, like, man, sunshine, I need to get and spend some time at the beach where I can experience sunrise, sunburn, sunset, and repeat. Yes, there's a Luke Bryan line for you this morning, but I'm ready for that. I'm ready to get down there. That is where I go. Lori and I love to spend time there. Uh, I don't care what beach. It can be the little make-believe beach over in, in Gallatin for all I care. I just need sand, sun, sun, sunshine, because that's where I go and I find rest. I'm able to relax. I'm able to kind of reset. But it's also the place for me that I feel closest to the presence of God. There's just something about the ocean. There's something about the sun. Where's your spot? Maybe for you, it's the mountains of Gatlinburg. Maybe for you, it's sitting out on your back porch and watching the old Tennessee sunset. For you, it's catching a glimpse as you're walking the dogs of just the sun rays or the sunshine. For you, it may be viewing a garden. For you, it may be out on a kayak fishing. For you, it could be skiing, whether that be snow or water. But all of us have these places, these places that we find rest, relaxation, but also the places that we begin to wander and ponder about God. It's his presence. It's almost like it's right there. And so what happens in these moments, whether it's oceans and sun, whether it's mountain or stars, they deeply move us. Nature has a way of captivating us. Nature speaks to us without using words. It's, it's nonverbal communication that God is there. It's like, it's like the writer says, it doesn't have to say a word. What it does is it reveals something. It is meaningful. It shows us that the world is not accidental. When we begin to look at the, the intricate work, regardless of the setting, we begin to see that the world is not an accident, but it is a meaningful, artistic display of God. And in its beauty, in its majesty, it reveals his presence, but it also awakens something. It ignites something. For me, it activates something. It activates a desire to know more. It's that moment where you go, I know that you're real, but what am I supposed to be doing? I begin to wonder, but also begin to ponder. God, what is going on here? Last year, we were sitting on the beach that was in the video and we watched one of the most magnificent displays I've ever seen God put on. And here was kind of the setting. And, and so you had in the distance this massive lightning storm. Fourth of July, by the way. So you got the fireworks getting ready to go. And I'm going, no, no, the fireworks are going right here. But in this setting, you have the, the waves rolling in. And in the distance, you have this magnificent lightning storm. But if you looked over top of your head, it was clear as could be. If you looked over to the right on around this picture, you would see that there was 
the sun setting, and it had painted the skies with those pinks and blues that only it can. And it was one of those panoramics, if you began to take it all in, you began to not just see a picture or or a piece of art that God had done. You saw a collection of what God was doing in that moment at that place in different areas, and it was breathtaking. And so as we kind of began to wander down the line of chairs that was lined up sitting and watching this, completely tuned into this, you began to hear things like this. So the chair next to me, the person sitting there goes, man, you know what? God really is amazing. And I forget that, but I watch things like this, and I I begin to realize that God really is something special. Wonder. Awe. And it kind of echoed down for three or four more chairs where people were talking about, yeah, and if you look over here, it's so much different than what we see right here. And it's just this amazing way that God works all these things together, and they begin to display his glory. So we sat there and we wondered, and a few minutes passed, and here's what happened. See, that wonder activates ponder, and somebody down on the other ends of the chairs says, this is amazing. So much so that I kind of get lost in it. Does anyone else see magnificent magnitude of God and what he has created and the God who created this and wonder what does God want me to do with my life and so that sparked another conversation but here's what I heard in that question here's what I heard in that moment of wonder and ponder I heard I know God is real. I just don't know what God wants for me, from me, or wants me to do. And let's be honest. How many of us have been right there? You're in a season where you're not necessarily questioning the realness of God, but you are questioning the meaning that God has on your life and for your life and what it is that he wants you to do. And it's a good question. It's a question we don't outgrow. It's a question that doesn't matter your, your spiritual pedigree, like how long you've been doing this, your tenure. It, it, it doesn't matter if, you've, if you're, you're young or old. There are going to be these moments when you are caught up in the magnificent displays of God and go, what does all this mean For me, there are going to be times that you are locked in, and then there are going to be these times in life where everything is messy and chaotic, and everything in between, and the sunrise, and the sunset, and the stars, and all this beauty never changes, but the way that we approach, and the way that it begins to activate and incite those feelings inside of us shifts and changes, and we all end up back there somewhere someday where we go, okay, God, I know you're there. But what does all this mean for me? And David sheds some light on that. In verses 1 through 6, here's the picture that he paints. He says, the heavens declare the glory of God. Listen to that now with all that in mind. 
The skies proclaim the work of his hands day after day. They pour forth speech night after night. They reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like the bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heaven and it makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its worth. And so it's in this moment where he says, listen, if you're struggling to know that God is real, look around. Look around. But if you're struggling to know what God desires, he says, look within. If you're in a place where you're going, is God real? Can can God really be known? Is his presence known? He says, look around. Okay, then what does God want from me? He says, look within. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing to the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord is radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring love. The decrees are firm. And all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much more pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warm, and keeping them there is great reward. And so here's what we see in this. So wherever you are in that, young, old, you've got this impeccable, you have built and worked and achieved, and you have locked in to the spiritual resume and your faith is solid, you don't have those doubts of where God is and who, you know, what he's trying to do or whether you're a complete train wreck. Here's where David points every single one of us. He says that the glory of God is revealed in nature, but the grace and the will of God are revealed in Scripture. And here's what I see as I begin to work through this. And this is going to get a little tedious for a second, but just follow with me. You can't separate the two. You can't separate the two. What I have found is that those of us, and I say us because I've been in these seasons, that are locked into these scenes of nature, and I know that God is real, but yet I struggle with where God is trying to take me and what he's trying to do. Typically, we take one, but not the other. And David says, listen, if you want to have this rock-solid faith that God is real, look around. But if you want to have confidence and lock in to what God is calling you and wills for you and wants you to do, he says, look within. Because here's what it is. The glory of the God is going to be revealed in nature, but the grace and the will of God is revealed in Scripture. And David says, you know the heavens? Look around. He says, you know those evenings on the beach or on the mountaintop or, or the evening spent on your port, whatever that is for you, whatever place you went to, he says, those moments, those are declarations. He says, those are displays. Those are acknowledgments of God and his glory. He says, they're there for you to see and to witness. They're there to be seen, to be admired, to incite a sense of wonder. They're there to, there to serve as witness to say, God is real and he is good. But David says, God doesn't want you to just know that he exists. He doesn't just make his existence known. No, he takes it a step farther. He says, he makes known for us the grace and the will for our lives. 
And he does that through what David calls the law. And we're going to break that down in just a second. He says it's through, through Scripture. So David says in the back half of the psalm, he says, you know what the beauty of nature looks like, right? Let me point you to the beauty that is found in God's Word in the same way. That both of them are magnificent, beautiful displays of not just who God is, but God's will and God's grace. And you can't separate the two. And so in verse 7, it's almost like he takes a different pen, but writes the same story. There's a shift in this psalm. So he goes from what we all know, and, and we're all probably sitting there right now at some beach or some mountaintop. He goes from what we know and what we love, and he shifts, and he writes with a different pen almost, but it echoes the same story, and that is this, is that there is beauty in not just God being known, but making his grace and his will known as well. And so verse 7, he says, The law is perfect, Refreshing to our souls, the statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring love. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. He says, here it is. You want to see the power and the reality of God, look around. But he says, if you want to see what God is doing for you personally, spiritually, Look within. Here's what David says in verse 8. He says that it's radiant. It gives light to the eyes. He says, don't get caught looking around at this and still be partially blind. There's more to be seen in addition to the things that incite awe and wonder. He says spiritual blindness has to be dealt with as well. And so how do we do that? We open up the word. And we begin to feel the beauty of what's going on inside the same way we feel the beauty of what's going on outside. And you go, okay, okay. But Jason, look at the words he uses. So, so let's, just, let's just, I don't know where everybody's at this morning, so let's just kind of equal the playing field. And I get it that there is sometimes a, an obstacle that has to be kind of gotten around with this. For some of you, you, you may have given up on church and maybe this is your first time back or you've been back for a little while and you're still feeling your way around. For somebody in here, you know, you probably know someone who has given up on church because they just couldn't keep up with the rules. I get that sometimes these words that David uses, they're big and heavy and churchy. Look at the list. They're not always viewed as life-giving. We typically don't use words like laws, statutes, precepts, commands, fear, decrees, and go, ooh, that is light and frothy. Man, that is just, that is, no, those are heavy words. And when we first look at them, if we're not careful, they seem burdensome. They seem shackling. And we don't always have a healthy view of these words, especially if we have a background, and some of us in here have this. Maybe you have a friend who won't come with you because they have this, and so you can help them walk through this. If we have a background or a preconceived notion that is shaped by someone who has taught an unhealthy expectation surrounding this, what I mean is this. 
when you think church, when you think Bible, when you think God, you automatically go to a place of like that. It's rules, that's regulations, that's do's and don'ts, that's restrictive, it is fun-sucking, it is life-taking type of things. I don't want anything to do with it because that's what has been taught, that's what has been put on you, that has been an expectation of this, that has been painted for you. And then we take it a step farther and this is where we burn out. When we don't keep up, with all the do's and don'ts, and we don't get this exact, we have this overwhelming sense of guilt and shame, and we begin to believe that church is not a place for us. For some of us, we've been told by good old church folk, it's not a place for you. Hey, you know what? You get yourself right, you begin to get right with Jesus, and you begin to do what's right in here, then you can come back and be a part of this, right? And then what happens is that begins to trickle down and go, well, if church is not a place for me and church folk is not going to help me create another expectation, if that's what I've been told, then maybe God doesn't have time for me. And so I walk away and I feel the pressure. Guys, I got, I got, I got relatives who feel the pressure of this. It's like a 1,000-pound weight they carry. And it is a constant struggle and and it's a constant place where they just live in anxiety and stress and fear of of not doing everything and and you go that doesn't sound like that's life-giving that doesn't sound refreshing and luckily for us David doesn't see it that way verse 7 he says that it is refreshing to my soul what he's talking about there when he says soul, he's saying, listen, it's, it's, it's meaningful, it's refreshing to myself, my, my psyche, my inner being. Anybody in here? Go, man, I could use some refreshing to my soul. I could use some time at the beach to rest and relax and reset. And David says, that's a great place. But you're going to have to partner it with something. The word, he says, has power. It has power to show you and restore you to your true self, your true identity. It renews you, but it can only do that if we begin to view it as such. And so here's the goal for the morning. And this is why we wanted to include this psalm and, and, and this lesson in this, is that we want you to begin viewing this as not some ball and chain that you drag around and go, well, I really love church people and I love my house group, but I just can't get, I can't get it all. I, can't, I don't know it. It seems to be too much and it seems to be too heavy. And, and, and let's be honest, I like to go out on the weekends and, and I, I like to dance. <laughs> I like rap music. I like to shop. I like to eat. And we have this view, and so we've got to get to a place where we begin to renew our view of this and refresh our view of this and begin to see it as enlightening and powerful and transformational. David says, don't just study it so that you can know exactly what God... No, he says, no, let it search you. Let it renew you. Let it transform you. Verse 10, he says... 
it's more precious than gold, more, more than more much pure gold. He says it's sweeter than honey. Look, look at verse eleven. He says, "By them, by these laws, these these decrees, these commandments, your servant is warned in keeping them. Their reward is great. Who can discern their own errors? I mean, I need help with that. Forgive me of my hidden faults, so that your servant will also get away from from keeping from these willful sins." He he says, "Listen, it, it's it has the ability to not just tell you what to do. Now it has the ability to, to, to guide you into something that is pure and sweet and it results in joy and wisdom and reward and you go, now that I'm down with that. I always thought it was restrictive. And if I give my life to Jesus and I begin to open his word and, and, and all of a sudden I, I become like this prisoner. I just want to let you know that David says that's not the case. It's not the way. He says it's sweeter than honey. He says nature reveals his glory, but the word reveals his grace. So here's the question that we're going to end with today. How do we then begin to reshape and rethink our view of the word? How do we find the refreshment, the joy, the wisdom, the light and life-giving freedom that David talks about? And here's how. You have to begin reading this looking to where it leads. we got to take this and we got to look to where it leads. I don't care if you're talking in Genesis, Exodus, getting through those book of Leviticus, or if you're in the minor Psalm or, or the minor prophets, or if you're in the New Testament, it all leads somewhere. So we've got to look to where it leads. See, David, in context, is talking about the Torah. He's talking about what we know is kind of those first few books of the Old Testament. They were the law, Genesis, uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, those kinds of things. But all of it, he says, points somewhere. It points not just to something, but someone. And then that someone doesn't just replace what is there. No, it, it completes what is there. So follow with me for just a second. If you get into Galatians chapter 3... Galatians was written by Paul, who was a follower of Jesus. Listen to what he says about the word, the law that David's talking about. He says, but before faith came, and what he's talking about there, he's saying before the object of faith came, Jesus. We were kept in custody. We were locked up. Under what? The law. Now, that's the law that David's talking about. He says, being shut up to the faith that was later to be revealed, verse 24, therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith, but now that faith, object of faith, Jesus, has come. And we are no longer under the tutor. Now, look back at verse 24 again. This is so key in light of what David is saying. If we're ever going to get to this place where we find refreshment in Scripture, where we, refi- where we find joy and renewal in Scripture, we have to make this leap from just being a, a law book of rules, regulations, do's and don'ts, to it being someone, something. He says, listen, the law is, is, that David's referring to, he says, it's a tutor. And what he means by that is it's someone who at that time would have taken children and they would have led them or guided them to where they should go and model for them what they should be doing. That's what a tutor does. It says, listen, you're failing at this. Let me show you how to get on the right path. And so he says it's like a tutor. 
Another way to say it is, he says, it's like a guide. The law is meant to lead us to Jesus. So if, you, if you're having a hard time filling in these blanks between I love Jesus and I love church and I love some of those things, I love God and beauty, but I can't find value here, you've got to look to where it leads, and it leads us to Jesus. And he says, so that then in that you may be justified by faith. John says it this way. John says in John 1, he says, in the beginning was the Word. Another, another, another uh, word there would be, you know, that law, the, the Scripture. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So it's always been there. So it's always pointing us to something. He says, he was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Verse 14, so key. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. The same glory that is seen and displayed in the sun and the beach and the mountains. He says, in all of this, the glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Here's what John says, here's what Paul says, and here's what David's pointing to. It's all about Jesus. But is that the way we grew up thinking about the Bible? And so maybe the reason that we can't pin what David pinned in our lives going... The law and the precepts and the statutes are refreshing is because we didn't see it that way. We didn't see it as Jesus. We didn't see it as something that was flowing and pointing towards something, that word becoming flesh. But when we begin to see it as Jesus, all of a sudden, guess what? There's good news. Because it's not something that locks me up. No, it's something I get to live into. Paul says later in Galatians, look how he finishes this up. He says, you are all sons and daughters of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus, the one who just became flesh, the word becoming flesh, the one, the tutor, the law, the precepts, the decrees were pointing to. Guess what? Now all of a sudden you become sons and daughters. He says, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Hold up, so I get to put this on. It's almost like I get to put... I get to put Scripture on as I put Jesus on, as I begin to model and allow him now to tutor my life the way the law used to tutor people. Now all of a sudden I'm letting Jesus guide my life. He says, and in that there's some freedom and identity. He says, there is no longer Jew or Greek. There is neither slave or free man. There's not male or female. You are all one in Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's descendant. You're heirs according to the promise. Now, Sorry, guys, I know that was really teachy. But here's the flow that leads to the energy that David felt and is going to be the flow that leads to the energy that we feel, whether we've got our toes in the sand or whether we're sitting behind a cubicle. When we begin to open this up and we allow it to point us to a person, not a list, when we allow it to point to Jesus, here's what we find. The Word becomes flesh, Jesus. So all this 
leads me to him. It guides me. It tutors me to Jesus. So that in faith, I become justified. Not perfect in the sense that we've got to keep a list of rules and regulations. That's not what it's about. It's I become perfect in relationship where I clothe myself in Christ. Again, not perfection. He becomes my perfection. He becomes my righteousness. He becomes those things for me. The, the ways that I can't keep the law, he covers. So transformation happens, and here's what happens in this. This no longer condemns me. It changes me. Jesus, the Word, becoming flesh, changes me. It refreshes my soul. I can trust it. It gives joy. It, it gives light because He is light. And in that, I begin to taste things that are sweeter than honey. It gives me new identity. It sets me on a different course and gives me a new lease on life. That's why David's so amped up about it, and that's why we should be too. See, the law's purpose is not to be a prison guard, but a tour guide. And I don't know where you came from and what your view of Scripture and what you were taught in way of keeping every single thing about it and the expectation that just seemed to be like some thousand-pound weight. But here's what I know, that Scripture, the law's purpose, is not to be a prison guard, but a tour guide leading us to Jesus. And all you got to do is fall in love with it. Read it. Let it read you. Read it while you've got your toes in the sand. But let it lead you. And here's what will happen. When you fall in love with it, you'll fall more in love with him. And the more you fall in love with him, the more you'll fall in love with it. Because when we allow, when we allow Jesus to lead us through the word, he will transform us. And what we'll find is it leads us toward life, but it also leads us into being life givers, world changers, better homemakers, better co-workers, better neighbors, better Facebook posters. That's where I see a lot of people needing Jesus, by the way. Because we love to hide behind a keyboard, don't we? But if you're in this place where you feel like, man, I wish Jesus would take hold of me. We sit there with our toes in the sand and watching and, and we begin to, God, I know you're there. What, what, what's next? What do you want from me? What, what, what? As you look around, don't forget to look within. You know, when Jesus was asked about the law, there's a lot of discussion that he gives and a lot of commentary that he gives on this thing called the law. He had somebody come and ask him, he said, okay, Jesus, is the law really important? And the way they asked it was, what's most important in the law? There's a lot in here. Jesus, there's 600 and something commands and 
rules and regulations. What's the most important? If you're, if you're the son of God, then you should know. He said, what's the most important? See, they were looking for him to elevate what was most important so they could forget everything else. So that they could use it to manipulate or use it to deceive and, and use it to judge others. Now, Jesus says this was most important and you're not very good at it. Therefore, I can judge you using this. And here's what Jesus says. It's beautiful. He said, love God and love people. And he knew that wouldn't sit well with him. And so what he said, he says, all the other things that you're wondering about that you use as yardsticks by which to measure someone's worth and value, he said, all that stuff hangs on those two things. Love God. There were other times that he was asked, and he says, you know what? I have come that they may have life and have it to the fullest. That's what I've come for. Not to shackle them to a wall, no, but to unshackle them under what has been locking them up. All of a sudden, faith has come. The object of faith has come. Jesus told those who believed him at that time, and he tells us today, he says, if you hold to my teaching, if you hold to my law, both what I've said, but also what I've modeled. He says, then you're my disciples. And he follows that up with, you'll know the truth. And the truth will set you free. In Matthew, he says, come to me, ye who are weary, and I will give you rest. And this is key. He says, take my yoke. What he's talking about there in context, he's talking about a rabbi's interpretation of the law. He says, take my interpretations of the law. Take what I'm giving you about the law. Take it upon you and learn from me. He says, I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. David says, it's refreshing to my soul. And Jesus says, if you'll take my interpretation of it, if you'll take my law, what I have both said and what I have modeled. By the way, he didn't come to abolish, but he came to complete. That was already there. He says, when you take that, guess what you find? Just like David said, he says, you find rest for your soul. So Jesus becomes refreshing. And then here's what he says about his yoke, his law. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You guys think if we did those things well, if we followed his lead, that the world would also find this refreshing? Because as I begin to look at Jesus, I see that Jesus was a lover. Jesus was merciful and grace-filled. And so as I began to read him, and I began to incorporate him. I began to clothe myself in him. I become those things. And I think what the world will see in you and what you will see in the word and what will happen in our joy will overflow. It will become radiant, trustworthy, just to use a few of David's words. So back to the question I ask, sitting on the beach. How do you know what God, who created all of this, really wants with my little life. Here's what he wants. He wants you to wonder and ponder. He wants you to continue to look around and be amazed at who he is and what he's done. 
but he wants you to look within. He says, allow my nature to reveal my glory, but allow my word to reveal my grace. Oh, and by the way, grace has a name. Jesus. Stand with me. I don't know what your next step is, but I just want to give you a few things that you can think about and pray about and ask questions about. Maybe for you, your your next step today is just to start wondering as I hear rain beat on this roof. God is in that as well. So maybe use this week as we flow through Easter and life begins to to bloom out of what looks dead. I was over at Moss Wright this last week and some of those beautiful tulips I've seen in quite some time. Begin to look at those things and wonder. Begin to do what David says. God, these tulips, this rain, the sun, declare your glory. Just start right there for you. For you, maybe you need to start pondering. You got to take this out and blow the dust off or download the app and just say I don't I don't I don't really I don't really know what to expect here but I know that Jesus is in here and that's where I'm trying to get to that's where I'm going to allow this to lead me to I'm not going to get weighted I'm not going to get shackled by this no I'm going to look for freedom in this and I'm going to see if I can't fall in love with the God who created all this I'm just going to start reading There's better places to start than others, if that's where you're at. Just Google. There's thousands of places, guides and plans. But again, it doesn't matter where you start. It's all going to point to Jesus. For you, maybe you're at a place where you just need to start following. you got to name Jesus as Lord, Savior. you got to begin to allow Him to take control of your life, all areas of your life. And I know that sometimes that's easier said than done, but you begin to be conscious about those things, and you begin to, again, open yourself up to that. And Jesus, you are Lord. I, I, I have faith in you. I'm putting my faith in you, and you tell me that that faith will justify me. For you, maybe it's baptism. We got a day coming up. Paul says, you know, that you when you clothe yourself in baptism, you become, you take on the, the likeness of Jesus. And so May 5th, we're going to be doing that. And maybe that's a step in your faith journey that you've not taken. We'd love to tell you more about that. We, we can do it anytime. But on May 5th, we're going to have a day designated just for you to celebrate with your friends and family. And if you want to know more about that, ask. Shoot us an email. Go back to respond. Our shepherds will be back there. But I hope you fall in love with God the creator of heaven and earth. But I pray that you fall in love with Scripture, the Word. Because ultimately, I want you to fall in love with Jesus.